Welcome to the Locking Castle Podcast. This Sunday morning's teaching is part of the Bible in two years. So good morning, church. You okay? You smiley happy people, I love I love that. Uh, you are uh, in the midst of the presence of the Lord. And you felt that through worship today, how the Holy Spirit is moving amongst us. It's just awesome. I love it. So I just want to thank you, Lord, for this word, that you will bless it to us now in the name of Jesus. Amen. So we we have been reading together Exodus. Um, Are you enjoying it? A little bit strange, hey? Some bits a little bit strange. Well, uh, there was a particular bit in, um, I think it was in uh, chapter 20, where it, uh, it gives us instruction to be careful when you uh, go up to an altar that you do not expose your private parts. That's an interesting kind of one. So that, that was just, um, you know, th- there are some uh, strange things in the, re- uh, the reading which we go through. And, and the thing is, we've got to view it a little bit, um, not through our kind of 21st century kind of eyes, but actually place ourselves in the story of when it was happening. Because we uh, tend to come to this in the kind of viewpoint of uh, a Greek kind of way of looking, which is very scientific, yeah? So if it's this or that, or what, uh, how does it tell us uh, to believe in this and yeah, all those kind of different things, even to the question, is there really a God? And those kind of things. That's what we tend to come to the word with that kind of mentality. But as a Jew, as if you're reading it as a Hebrew, you will be asking that you wouldn't be questioning whether there is a God because that's a no-brainer. It's more about what's happening in the story. What's happening and how does it speak to us? How does it uh, show God in, uh, in, the, in this story? How does it betray him? And so we've got to step back from our normal kind of way of looking at things and actually kind of put ourselves into the story. What's it say about God? What's it saying about the Israelites? What's it saying uh, you know, uh, about myself as I place myself in this story? So, yeah, take off the, the Greek kind of way of looking at it and put on the Hebrew way of looking at stuff, okay? So we're going to uh, give you a little whistle-stop tour of what we've already read, okay? So, so we, uh, we've read from 7 to 20 this week. That's a lot of chapters, okay? So very quickly, the narrative begins with God commanding Moses and Aaron to confront Pharaoh and demand the release of the Israelites. When Pharaoh refuses, God unleashes 10 devastating plagues upon Egypt, each plague escalating in severity. The plagues include turning the Nile River to blood, infestations of frogs, lice, flies, death of livestock, boils, Hail, locusts, darkness, and then finally, the death of the firstborn in every Egyptian household. Despite the severity of the plagues, Pharaoh's heart remains hardened. 
And he refuses to let the Israelites go until the final most devastating plague hits. Exodus 12, 13, the Passover and the Exodus, God instructs the Israelites to observe the Passover ritual meal signifying the faith and obedience, which also serves as a protection from the final plague. After the death of the firstborn, Pharaoh finally relents and orders the Israelites to leave. And the Israelites depart in haste, taking with them the wealth of Egypt and journeying towards the promised land. The festival of unleavened bread is established to commemorate this hasty departure. And God gives further instruction to consecrate all the firstborn and remember his deliverance. Now, it comes to one of my favorite chapters now. Exodus 14 and 15, crossing the Red Sea, not the reeds, but the Red Sea. As the Israelites leave, Pharaoh changes his mind. Funny enough, isn't it? He likes to change his mind. Pursues them with his army. The Israelites find themselves trapped between Pharaoh's forces and the Red Sea. And in a miraculous display of power, God instructs Moses to stretch out his hand over the sea. Now, can you see Charlton Heston now? Are those ones who know that film? Yeah. And it's just a dramatic kind of the, the, the wall of water on either side. It was quite, I just love it. It's so action packed, this bit is, right? So, the, and uh, when the Egyptians' army followed, the waters returned. These walls of water totally drowned the Israelites, signifying the deliverance for Is, uh, is the Israelites. Following this, they have a good old sing song. Yeah, they, they really like to kind of say that the Israelites are dead. And not the Israelites, I mean, the Egyptians. The Egyptians are dead, not the Israelites. <laughs> so they're like, yeah, we're going to have a sing song that the, um, yeah, it's like the Wicked Witch is dead, isn't it? Yeah, so it's like that kind of thing. So the, uh, then 16 and 17, the provision in the wilderness, the Israelites journey through, they got onto the other side, they journey through the wilderness and they face challenges of hunger and thirst. God's miraculous, uh, uh, he miraculously provides for them, sending manna from heaven and food, other food, instructing Moses to strike the rock with his staff to produce water. These events underscore God's ongoing provision and care for his people, despite their grumbling. Notice that, despite their grumbling. And uh, yeah, we may look at the, uh, say the Israelites are a bit of a grumbling lot. We are a little bit, I think, don't we? Don't you think we are a little bit grumbly? Is everything going okay? Is it a little bit grumbly? <laughs> so we have a tendency to grumble when things, and we may have that lack of faith as well. We do not want to be like the Israelites uh, who keep on grumbling and, well, it just seems to follow them all the way through. We don't want to be a grumbling people. So Exodus 18, Jethro's advice, Moses, father-in-law, Jethro visits the Israelite camp and observes Moses' exhaustive efforts in judging people's disputes. He advises Moses to appoint capable men as leaders over the people to share the burden of leadership. System of delegation Moses implements, and I like delegation. Delegation is all you need. 
If you want to be the best, <laughs> beat the rest. Delegation is all you need. Yes, it is very much so. Um, and if you didn't know, it's dedication is the actual song, but delegation, it fits really well. So uh, Exodus um, 19 and 20, we're coming down to land on this one. The covenant at Sinai, the Israelites arrive at Mount Sinai where God establishes his covenant with them, declaring them a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. God reveals himself on the fire, mountain in fire and smoke, emphasizing his holiness and his power. Moses ascends to Mount Sinai to receive God's law, including the Ten Commandments, which our own laws are based upon, and which outline the moral and religious conduct expected of the Israelites as part of the covenant relationship with God. Right, that's quite a lot, isn't it? This segment of Exodus is crucial for understanding the nature of God's relationship with Israel his power and provision and establishment of the law and the foundational events that shape the identity and faith of the Israelite people and also ours. So there's many places I could land. Wouldn't you agree? There's lots of places. Now, I was particularly, uh, I I quite like chapter 14. That's where I I, I was kind of going to land first, where Moses under pressure from the encroaching Egyptian army and the moaning Israelites going, oh, we should have stayed in Egypt. We are better off dying there than being out here kind of thing. Yeah, do you sometimes say that, really? Um, But what he said to the Israelites, he says, don't worry. This is God's battle. Be still. In other words, yeah, it's going it's to work out. All right? It's going to work out. Wait. Be patient. I've got this. All right? And if you need to hear those words, going through a bit of a tough time or something like that, God's got you. Okay, the battle belongs to him. Be still and know. But this morning, I was drawn to the reading for today, which is a call to Locking Castle Church and to all believers and followers of Jesus. Because, well, actually, Locking Castle Church, I'm going to switch it around to the church at Locking Castle. Because we are a people before we are a building. Okay, so we're the church at Locking Castle rather than Locking Castle Church. Why? Because we are a priesthood. We are children of God and we are a priesthood, a priesthood of all believers. Now, you may have heard this uh, said before, a POAB, I call it, a priesthood of all believers, mediating God's presence presence to our world. So today we're venturing into the heart of a profound biblical truth that has power to transform and under our understanding of our faith, our identity, and our role of God's grand narrative. We are joining with the, uh, the Israelites in Exodus here. 
we explore the concept of the priesthood of all believers, a promise that stretches from the ancient covenant with Israel to the eternal covenant established through Jesus. As we embark on this journey, let us invite the Holy Spirit in to open our hearts and our minds, allowing God's word to mold and inspire us, for we need to get this. We need to get this. Because it's a key part of our discipleship. It's a key part of us following Jesus that we realize our role, our identity. We've sung that we are children of God. In the sunsets, free is free indeed. But this is part of our identity, of how we function in this world as believers. So it begins the divine promise given to a nation drawn in its formation. Here at the foot of Mount Sinai, God articulates his vision for his people. You will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. If you keep my commands, if you keep on going my way, you're going to be this nation. You're going to be a kingdom of priests. Wow. So what happened? See, it wasn't merely an aspirational goal. It was a call. It was an invitation for the entire nation to live as in a close relationship with God and to mediate his presence to the world. However, we continue through the narrative of Exodus. We witness the challenges it brings. The adaption to this vision undergoes culminating in its fulfillment in Jesus. You see, we've got to remember that the Old Testament points to Jesus. And Jesus points back to the Old Testament. This is why we are reading the Bible in two years together. Because we need to get the Old Testament in us for us to understand what it means, what we have in Jesus. So there's a shift, there's a Levitical priesthood. Following the significant of, uh, act of disobedience, which we will read later on, it's a little bit of a spoiler, this one. All right, we're going to read this, all right? We will read later in Exodus, the, Levi uh, the Levites were designated to carry the mantle of priesthood for the people. That wasn't the original idea. They wanted all them. He wanted everyone to be this priesthood. But they, it was, they were separated. This role involved serving in the tabernacle, offering sacrifices, teaching God's law. While necessary for that time, the arrangement signaled not the end, but an evolution of God's plan. A plan that always intended for his whole people to embrace their priestly calling, realizing, uh, realize fully in the new covenant through Jesus, as he, as the Old Testament points to him. So the fulfillment is in Jesus, our high priest. Now, Fab really uh, excellently uh, told us about Melchizedek. So if you want to kind of refer back to uh, what happened in Genesis. So this is what, what is the kind of, it, Jesus emerges as the Messiah, aligned not with the Levitical priesthood or lineage, but from the order of Melchizedek. Uh, so uh, he explained this as he kicked off the book of Genesis for us. So you can, 
you know, listen back. His priesthood, which is Jesus' priesthood, uh, surpassed the old. It established on the a power of an indestructible life. Through this once and for all sacrifice, Jesus ushers in the covenant, a new covenant, inviting us into a direct relationship with God and empowering us to be priests in our own right. It means that all who follow Jesus is a priest. It's not this role here. I'm not the only priest, if, if, if someone would call me a priest. No, I've just been ordained to do a job in that way. That's what the Lord has called me. But he calls every one of us to be a priest. It's flat, it's not hierarchical. Okay? I am not lording it over and telling you what to do. We are in this together. As I've always keep on saying, we're all in this together. Thanks for that. You're really kind of coming with me on this one. We're all in this together. We are all in this together. It's not about hierarchy. We have just different responsibilities. He empowers us to be priests. Our identity is priesthood of all believers. This brings us to where we stand today. This ancient promise meets eternal truths within our daily lives. Echoing the words from Exodus, Peter reminds that we are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. Wow. His holy possession. Every single one of us who follow Jesus, we are his most wonderful possession. We don't, yeah, if that don't melt your heart, I don't know what is going to. So we see that in 1 Peter 2, 9. This identity is not merely a token, but calls us to a way of living. As a priest, we are invited to offer spiritual sacrifices embodying worship, serving one another in love, sharing the gospel and pursuing holiness. Each aspect of our lives reflects this priestly role and a service to the world we live in. So living out our calling is this mediating between God and the world. To live as priests means to mediate God's presence in the world. It involves embodying God's love, his justice, his mercy in our interactions of every day. Let us not split off our spiritual from our secular, okay? We don't just do this on a Sunday. We do it every day. We are part of this. We cannot separate our spirituality and just go about our lives doing our own thing. We need to integrate our spiritual lives into every aspect, every aspect of our front line. Serving as a bridge that connects the divine with the daily. It's about offering the sacrifices of praise, thanksgiving, and good deeds. It's about bearing witness to the truth and the hope of the gospel in word and deed. This mediation is our privilege. 
and our responsibility, calling us to reflect God's kingdom values wherever we are. So in conclusion, as we move forward, let us embrace our identity as part of the priesthood of all believers. We're all in this. We are called to be mediators of God's presence, agents of his healing and hope in this world, desperately seeking meaning and connection. Let's approach this calling with boldness, love, and a profound sense of purpose, knowing we're part of something greater than ourselves. Walking in the footsteps of our high priest, Jesus Christ. This is what we're here for. Kingdom of priests, representing him in every aspect of our lives. What an awesome privilege we have. His possession. We're all his. We got a part to play in this. Shall we pray? Father, we thank you for inviting us into this incredible calling as the priesthood of all believers. Help us to live out this calling with courage and compassion, mediating your presence and love in the world in need. Empower all of us by your Holy Spirit to be faithful witnesses of your kingdom for the glory of your name. Amen. Amen. Bless you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To find out more about Locking Castle Church, please visit our website at lockingcastlechurch.org.